Boy, boy. <laughs> Look at his face. Elton. You go with Dad? Get loose, boy. Got a rocket in your pocket. Keep cool, I can't wait for the Tick Tick Boom film. Um, where did you? Where did that come from? We're talking about West Side Story. He said, "Got a rocket in your pocket," which is in Y from Tick Tick Boom. It came when from they're West. Ref- I, when they're, yeah, they're referring to West Side Story. She calls herself a musical theater nerd. Yeah, I was referring to a lyric about West Side Story. Yes, what I thought you were going to say though you can't wait for the West Side Story film, which yeah, is also coming. I also out. can't wait for that. Yeah, come there's on, also mate. a West Side film coming out. <laughs> <laughs> you're singing something West Side. You're like, I can't wait for the Tick Tick Boom movie. <laughs> Hi! Hi, Josephine. How are you, Ruth? I'm great. How are you? Very well. Thank you for asking. No worries. Uh, Welcome to My Favourite Musical. Yay, it's a podcast. Yes, it's a podcast. About musicals. That's Ruth. That's Josephine. And in the spirit of reconciliation, we would like to acknowledge the traditional owners and ongoing custodians of country around Australia. We recognise their continuing connection to land, water and culture and we pay our respects to their elders past and present. Here, here. Hmm. Did you see it was announced today that the Broadway Advocacy Coalition are going to be given a special Tony Award at the no. ceremony? Yeah, isn't that awesome? That's cool. So you know how they give out a few of those every yeah, year? Yeah. So I think it's like them, Freestyle Love Supreme and oh. like maybe another like kind of – because sometimes like they give group. them out when it's not like a normal Broadway show. Yeah, wow. But, yeah, they got one too. That's so cool. Very cool. Oh, I do like that. Yeah. But I suppose you've got to zhuzh up these Tonys a bit, hey? Well, true. And they've done <laughs> – they really – BAC, they do oh, amazing, amazing work. work. Yeah. Oh, that's good news. Yeah. Um, I would just also like to welcome everyone to the Come From Away Appreciation Podcast. <laughs> I'm your host. <laughs> so we saw Come From Away a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, and um, I did talk a lot of shit. <laughs> Go back and listen to our Come From Away episode. And also I think in the meantime we had a mixtape where she also talked shit on Come From Away. Yeah, like Go I, on. Just, I just loved it. Fuck, yeah. it was good. Right. Holy shit. Um, everything that Ruth predicted I would feel I felt. Yeah. Um, I am the oracle. I just do want to say, like, I hear, I've heard a bit of discourse from a range of people around me about frustration, like, at sort of the constant American stories that we um, are seeing in Australia Mm. rather than sort of local stories. And to that I say, like, until we develop a theatre going and appreciating culture, I just think it's necessary for us to stage these famous shows from Broadway that people have heard of, like, I mean, I also feel like generally there isn't much support from government or larger production houses for local That's stories. That's the thing, yeah. Um, but, like, what came first? Is it a lack of audience support or a lack of funding? I don't know. But anyway, to people who are like, no, I don't want to see Hamilton and come from away and all these American stories, just fucking do it, man. It's so good. But also, like, it doesn't it doesn't make them any less Valid excellent or, works of art, you That's know what it. I mean? And I do sort of feel like, well, what? What do you mean? You only want to see Australian stuff. Like, and all I would say to those that? people is that the commercial transfer of, Mur- of Muriel's wedding did not do well commercially. Yes. So if you're not supporting those shows, exactly, then what? what that the are hell? Australian yeah. and homegrown and by Australian artists and you mm. know, based on very famous Australian films. Like, what are you then? Then yeah. shut your People mouths. aren't putting their money where their mouths are. No. So I. I had a little mini argument about it because I'd said to this person, I just said, I saw Come From Away and I loved it. It was amazing. And that was their comment. And I was like, hold up. Yeah. Like oh, you that's... can't you can't just say you appreciate theatre and then like boycott theatre that, you know, 
Yeah, I find that a very strange mm. viewpoint to have. Well, so anyway, back to the actual show. It was just magnificent. Yeah. It was so magnificent. It's just a really great piece of musical theatre. Yeah, it really is. And, yes, I still stand by the fact that I don't think the soundtrack is worth listening to, but that doesn't mean that the piece of theatre itself is not worth seeing. Exactly. Because it is worth seeing. Yeah. And um, it was just nice to be in the capital again. There's a beautiful theatre in Sydney and, yeah. It was great. It was just it? great. Yeah. yeah. A good friend of mine um, was in the pit. Well, not the pit. It was side on stage, stage, really. Yeah. It was just on stage. So that was nice. Yeah, it was just just wicked. Yeah, it was great. It was Unlike really the fantastic. shit musical, wicked. It was actually good. <laughs> <laughs> Do you yeah. like how in apologising for talking shit about a, a musical, I talk shit about yeah, another musical? Yeah, you talked about shit about a different musical, yeah, <laughs> which also played the capital. Um Excellent. I am glad to have you publicly apologising about Comfort Away. Yes, I, and I, I want to say it, I'll word it properly, I apologise for my incorrect comments about Comfort Away. <laughs> While some of the points I made uh, remain valid, most of my hatred is uh, was not founded. No, no. <laughs> I hope that we can um, work through this together and I grow as podcasters. We can. And I will never retract any of my comments about Dear Evan Hansen. Or rent or like. <laughs> or rent or She wicked. holds true to all of those. <laughs> or Joseph. Um, I also have an apology. Do you? It's to Josephine. Yeah, fucking oath. <laughs> on last week's. What did you do? On last week's <laughs> mixtape in which we talked about songs we like from shows that we. Hate. D- dislike. Um <laughs> Uh, Josephine mentioned that she'd just gone through my list of upcoming shows and just picked songs from those shows, which is, you know. Because I knew that you were going to do shows that I hate. Yeah. But <laughs> and she goes, and one of them was from The King and I. And I thought, and I literally swore black and blue on the podcast that there's no way I would have ever put The King and I on as a as a show to cover on the, on the podcast. And, and she did. was like, no, you did. <sighs> Couldn't believe it. So I checked it afterwards and there on my list was The King and I. <laughs> I've since removed it, everyone. I really, I really to, don't like The King and I. I re-listened to the mixtape and you were just like adamant. upsettingly adamant. Because it was so much that by the end of that episode I was like, oh, okay, maybe you're yeah, right I, then. I fully gaslit you. <laughs> and um, and I just I just was like, what crack was I on it, that yeah. made me put The King and I on that list in the first place? <laughs> anyway, yeah. it's gone now. Good. I shan't be covering The King and I. Yeah, so that's But right. it was on the list. <laughs> She was right. I was wrong. I love it. Um, no more talk of the king and I for now. <laughs> we watched, um, you know, confetti. The um, I love the that, U- movie, I love that movie. movie. Yeah, because um, I like to rewatch films, and Shane does not famously. But the other day, I don't know what prompted him, but he just said, "I think I'm in the mood to watch confetti." And so, anytime he says he wants to rewatch a film, yeah. you have to jump on it. So I was like, "We're watching it right now." Yeah. And um, there's a scene in there where they talk about the king and I a lot. Is there? Well, because you know how there's a musical couple. Yes, they, that's and, right. And so the wedding planners are like, what musical should we do? And one of them's like, it's got to be The King and I. Because like uh, I, elephant. I saw that at the cinema and I don't think I've seen it since. Oh, that was a – I saw it with you at the cinema. Yeah, we saw it together. God, it's a long time that ago That was a long though, time right? ago. I think we were with our friends. Like I think Andrew was there. I think Nick was there. Yeah, it was probably like a group I'm thing. I'm pretty sure it was. It feels like it would have been a stage where we all just would have been obsessed with Martin Freeman. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I still am. Yeah, that me holds too. true. Yeah, that does hold true. He's in the film. He's not in just, the film. We weren't just in a club that loved Martin Freeman that did other things. <laughs> Martin Freeman was in the film. Like we just had social events. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've got a couple of links. 
that I'm going to link to this week. Um, One is this article that kind of popped up that was in The Guardian and it was just like 10 documentaries about theatre. Oh, cool. And I'd only say only like two of them were musical theatre. Most of them more like about plays kind of thing. Um, But the two that were about theatre were The Best Best Worst Worst Thing thing. uh, about Merrily We're Along, which is excellent. Yeah, it is. It's on Netflix. And I can't remember what the other one was, but it was – there was I'd seen – oh, it was The Bathtubs Over Broadway that I've recommended before, which is also on Netflix and also excellent. But the rest were all sort of really – sounded really interesting and I'm definitely going to watch them. So I'm I'm linking to that. Um, So like stuff I'd never heard of before and I sort of consider myself – you know, fairly up to date on these things. Yeah. So yeah, particularly like the crossover of theater and, and documentaries. Docos, yeah, like <laughs> literally <laughs> my very... two greatest loves. Yes. <laughs> um, so I'm going to link to that. I thought I was one of your greatest loves. Yeah, you are. You're like fourth. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the other one is, um, which you might have on your list too, but the latest study from the Asian American Performers Action Coalition is out. No, I didn't see that. Yeah. So just maybe like a few days ago, well, a few weeks ago, once this comes out, um, is this the data? Because I think the last time we talked about it was up until 2018 Yeah, so this was basically like up until COVID hit yeah, kind of nice. thing. It was like the yeah. tw- 2019, 2020 yes. season. Um, I'm linking to the New York Times article about it, but within that you can go to their website yeah. and have a look. There's not really a lot for me to say except that that season wasn't really any better than the season previous. Like yeah. it's still it's more overwhelmingly white. Yeah, yeah. Like it's, it's really bad. I guess the question is once – you know, we've now had this sort of reckoning uh, with the racial inequality that exists in our industry. Yeah, will something change? Will something change now? Yeah. And obviously, like, more shows and stuff are being programmed that, um, you know, are more are better for those things. But, like, yeah, hopefully we see some change. The biggest one, I think, was, like, there isn't a single non-white artistic director in any of the, like, something like that. In, like as a... Like in New York, oh, basically. The... Yeah, something like... It's, like, yeah, ridiculous. And I know that that is definitely changing, but yeah, like it's it's a it, it's those it's like, top down, yeah, you know, yeah, like it's yeah. got the whole system's got to change, really. Oh man, just throw it out, throw it out, start again. I think that it's a great idea. Yeah. Oh, wow, I can see the full moon. Is it a full? It must be because I'm looking at it. Wow, it's really prominent. Interesting. I'm glad. Um, this um audio medium, everyone can see it. Luckily. <laughs> You, th- you don't think they haven't seen a fucking moon before, Ruth? Well, I don't think they, they need to have they any context. Come to listen to a podcast about the full but moon. But they understand what I'm talking about. It does look really pretty. I turned around really and It really pretty. It. And there's sort of like weird clouds in front of it. It reminds me of this childhood book of mine that I talk about all the time when the full moon happens. Okay. My parents had this book at home. It was called The Moon's Revenge. Oh. And it was a children's book. It sounds dark. It's so dark. But like it. <laughs> A properly traumatized me because okay. it was just about like this kid used to throw shoes at the moon and then a, a sea monster came and like like took his family away and his sister went deaf and it was pretty that was it that there was that was like it yeah pretty fucked up childhood pretty didn't fucked you up. yeah <laughs> and my mom every time I bring it up my mom's like oh stop going on about the moon's revenge I'm like why would you get a book that has revenge in the title for a child <laughs> well, it really explains a lot about your personality thank though. you yeah. Yes. Should I? Should we talk about music? Yeah, are you ready to start? Am I first? You're first. Oh, my God, Ruth. 
Do you want to hear about Anyone Can Whistle? I sure do. I don't know if you do. Really? Anyone Can Whistle has the most fucking bonkers story of any musical I've ever known. As in the plot the or plot the like? And the and the story of the musical. Okay. It's so nuts. Okay, all right. I'm excited. Anyone Can Whistle is a 1964 book musical by Stephen Joshua Sondheim. Yay, and Arthur Sondheim. Lawrence. Yay, Sondheim. I've never seen it. Have no, you? No, no. In fact, I know the song Anyone Can Whistle. Yeah, because I talk about it all the time. Yeah. But, like, maybe no other songs? Oh, you know many other songs. Oh, do I? Okay. Oh, yes, you do. Okay. Um, I would love to see this musical because I think it could be a bit of a delightful train wreck. Right, okay. <laughs> also, some of the songs are, like, awesome. It's some of Sondheim's best writing. Interesting. Yeah, it really is. Um, and sometimes it's not his best writing. Right. <laughs> I also just think the plot... It, yes, it is bonkers. It's also just too clever for this podcast for yeah. me to explain. I'm Sorry, gonna... did you say he wrote the music and the lyrics? Yeah. Yeah, okay, right. Yeah. Um, and Arthur Lawrence wrote the book. Yes. Okay, interesting, yeah. Yes, indeed. Okay, I'm just going to try my best with the plot. It is detailed. Okay. This is our first three-act show. Ooh. <laughs> Why a three-act show, you ask? I don't know, but it's crazy. The idea of sitting in a theatre and then being told there are two intermissions is really traumatic for me. Yeah. Like I want no intermissions. I what want about in, in a play? Same. Really? I feel the same about operas, about plays. Like I would rather just sit there for four hours than have two breaks and mm. know that the world outside was there and I had to go back into <laughs> the theatre. When I saw the Follies revival, I think it was two hours and 20 minutes with no intermission. Oh, God. Which is like a long time to not have a break. But also like then you were done. Well, so on Monday night I hosted Year 12 Drama Night for my school. Yeah. And I was going to give the parents an intermission but I knew they would go home so they had to sit for two hours. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I but definitely no like, regrets. I love like a full day of theatre though. Like I, when I've seen Angels in America yes. or like Harry Potter, Potter and the Cursed Child. Yeah, it's like an immersion. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I want. But well, although anyway. that's almost always done as two separate performances. Yeah, well, this you is. You get a, like a dinner break. This is a three act show. Yeah. Um, okay, the show Anyone Can Whistle is set in a fictional American town that has gone bankrupt. Um, and the only sort of like business doing good business is the local sanatorium known as the Cookie Jar. Okay. I know. Already. Just the, this, like, wacky sanatorium. Yeah, yeah. The cookie jar. Um, the mayoress of the town is Cora. Cora Ho- Hooper Hoover, I think her name is. And she is obsessed with power. She's corrupt and she's completely ruthless. Love her. She and some other people, um, like dignitaries in the town, decide to falsify a miracle, like, to attract tourists. So, basically, there's, like, a rock in the town that they, like, hook up this wet pu- fake pump to and it just begins producing water and everyone starts to say that this, like, magical water has curative powers mm. and it's, like, it's a miracle. So, so they're people, grifters. They're grifters. Yeah. Totally. So Faye is this suspicious nurse from the cookie jar, um, doesn't believe in the miracle. So because they think the, the water heals people, she brings the inmates down they're, they're known as cookies the inmates from the cookie Ooh. jar she brings them to te- to test the waters and be cured in inverted commas knowing that it's 
going to prove that it's a fake. So then the council people, the grifters, realise the danger of the cookies drinking the water and nothing happening, so they try to stop it. But in the confusion, um, the cookies disperse amongst the townspeople and the tourists and no one can tell who is crazy and who isn't. Mm. Mm-hmm. So then this, like, dodgy doctor, his name's Dr Habgood, splits the people of the town into two groups, Group A and Group 1, um, but he doesn't say which group is which. <laughs> and so then the first act ends with this, like, manic number and the theatre being, like, plunged into darkness, but then there's just Dr Hapgood in a spotlight and he tells the audience that you're all mad and then the lights restore, the set has vanished and the cast is in theatre seats holding programs and applauding the audience. <laughs> <laughs> That's act one. Oh, my God. <laughs> so then uh, we come back. Faye, the the nurse, wants to get to the bottom of the fake miracle because she's really suspicious of Cora. Um, but in the process, she and Dr. Habgood, like, develop a connection. And I think, she, like, she's quite an uptight sort of um, character and he is just, like, the first sort of person she can be real with mm. um, and is comfortable with. So he convinces her to solve her confusion by tearing up the records of the cookies so that they can just assimilate so that... Because a lot of people are like, oh, my gosh, who are these cookies? Like we need to find them and put them back in the cookie jar. But he convinces her to like tear up the records so that they can just go and be in the world. Like off they go. Don't worry about them. Um, But she really wants to expose the miracle as fake. But the doctor convinces her that no one will believe her anyway. So she may as well just put her energies into this thing. Yeah. Meanwhile, Cora is mad that her spotlight is being taken over by the cookies and the doctor. And she's under threat of being impeached for the scandal of the escaped cookies. So she decides to arrest just 49 random people because there's 49 cookies just 49 random people and put them in the cookie jar and say that, that that's them. Can I just clarify, like, when they're going to arrest, are they cri- criminally insane? Is that no. the idea? No, no. They're just, they're just, it's a mental institution. It's a mental institution. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, arrest is, it, that is the term really. Yeah, that's I how guess we treat so. yeah, people yeah. who are mentally yes, insane. Yes, definitely, yeah. Um, okay, so, yeah, so she decides she's just going to arrest these random people, but at the last minute they realise that Faye can actually just recognise the cookies um, because she's their nurse, so they force her to, like, point oh, out. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's a bit shit. Um, she reluctantly identifies them, and then a new miracle happens two towns over and all the tourists leave to go to this new miracle. Yeah. Cora decides that the cookie jar is the only profitable business, so she should just turn the whole town into a cookie jar. <laughs> Um, uh, a new nurse at the cookie jar hears about the new miracle and marches off with some of the cookies to disprove it, just repeating the whole chaos again. Uh, and Faye and the doctor get together to try to break the cycle of craziness, the end. Wow. I had no idea what that show was about. It's not about whistling at all. No, like the title <laughs> is very misleading. So, well, there is reference to it, like Faye can't whistle. And so the way that, because she and the doctor oh, well, that sort explains of, everything. <laughs> she and the doctor sort of like don't get together for a while and at the very end she goes to the rock where the fake miracle had happened and she sort of like whistles. She's still really shit at it. She whistles and he like comes to her and that's how they get back together. Right. Yeah, loose ends, tied up. Feel, um, feels like the show should be called something more like The Cookie Jar or something, was, though. As I'm going to tell you, it's been called multiple Many, things. Okay, right. Um, for a really delightful and equally confusing explanation of the plot, I've linked to a video of Sutton Foster and Raul Esparza trying to explain it, and oh they are God. just as delightfully uncertain of what happens in this show, and they were in the show. Yeah. So I just want you to know that even though my plot was not very well told, 
that it doesn't exist. No, I got it all. Oh, thanks. It's just complex. It's complex and just weird. A bit bonkers. A bit yeah, bonkers. Um, I like this explanation from Sondheim himself. This is from Finishing the Hat. Uh, quote. It's a fanciful story about a small, economically depressed American town whose venal mayoress gets the bright idea of arranging a fake miracle to attract tourists. The tourists arrive, but they become intermixed with the inmates of the local cookie jar, a rest home for non-conformists. Farcical complications ensue. So it's almost more like a kind of the Fantastics or Big Fish or like one of those kind of, you know. Yeah, without any actual like what is real and what is not real. Yeah, the whole commentary okay. on like on the idea of, of sanity is the only sort of thing that is that is not explicit in the story, yeah. if you know what I mean. So obviously the comments are about like who is who is mad and who is not mad, that we're all a little mad or whatever. Yeah. Um, that's really the only sort of comment. There okay. is a bit of a comment about like capitalism because at the very beginning of the show there's this plot that like this town, they used to be really um, like really rich um, but they had, like, invented a thing that everyone in the world needed, but once you got it, you didn't need to ever buy it again. Mm. So they were really successful because they had this thing that everyone needed, but it was so, like, it's so sustainable or whatever that you only need to buy it once. Yeah. So there's there's comments That's, there for sure. I remember on an episode of No Such Thing as a Fish that long ago, they were talking about how there's no more bell makers anymore, really. Because, yes. like, once a good a bell church is made, bell lasts for hundreds of years. That's right. And so, like, at one point there was, like, thousands of them all yeah. over the world and now of course there's like none left no well it's obviously that's their comment on this too yeah. and like our consumption or whatever and now we have like relevant. planned obsolescence in you know in like materials that we buy yeah. and stuff like that yeah exactly so there are a few comments like that in the show but otherwise the story seems to be just like very Weird. Yes. Just very weird. Um, Okay, so some background. So in 1961, the New York Times announced that Arthur Lawrence was working on a musical project with Sondheim titled The Natives Are Restless. Okay. Mm. In 1963, the working title was changed to Sideshow. Oh. And then somehow... It is still a mystery to me. It became anyone can listen. Yeah. <laughs> um, Arthur Lawrence personally wrote to Angela Lansbury to request that she audition. Um, and she did and she accepted the role of Cora despite strong misgivings about the script and her ability to sing it. This was, I think, her Broadway debut actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Um, Lee, Re- uh, Lee Remick was cast as Faye and Harry Gardino as Dr Hapgood. So there's not much info on the development of it except yeah. that Arthur Lawrence seems to be like a proper domineering type who just yes. like took control of the whole thing and, and is it based on anything no no it's like an original story yes as you can tell from the plot i just said yeah i just thought maybe it was based on a book or something yeah no no so following rehearsals pre-broadway tryouts began in philly in march 1964 um lawrence directed as well as wrote and apparently just completely refused to entertain criticism yeah so like the reviews were shocking at mm. tryouts and so instead of any rewrites he would just like restage things yeah um, right but apparently it just was very clear it needed extensive rewrites from the beginning um yeah so anyway after these revisions and i don't know how considering the reviews in philadelphia the show opened on broadway on april 4th 1964 at the majestic theater yeah where it closed after nine performances oh my God. and 12 previews that's less than Merrily. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Nine performances. Yeah, that's insane. <laughs> I show... didn't realise it was that quick. Yeah. 
quick. Yeah. The show received one Tony nomination at the 1964 Awards for Choreography. Um, or did I mention that there's a dream ballet in the show? Of course there is. <laughs> um and the show sort of quickly became like a cult classic, probably because there was a cast recording. Um, the cast recording was recorded the day after the show closed. Yeah, that would have really been really common, fucking hard right? to do, man. That's what they did for Merrily as well. Yes. Yeah. Can you imagine? Just yeah. like, okay, guys, we suck, but let's just quickly record this cast album. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I saw this great interview with Angela Lansbury where she, where she told the story of going to record that. And she thinks now, I don't know if this, like, I don't hear it because I'm used to listening to the cast recording, but. She thinks you can hear like a lot of sadness that didn't exist in the show in the cast recording. Oh, wow. Um, but anyway, so production. And I'm going to tell you a lot more about that original Broadway run in a second, but I just want to go over the history of the show. After that very, very poorly performing um, Broadway run in 1964, there was nothing for a long time. Then in 1995, there was a stage concert that was held at Carnegie Hall in New York. Um, benefiting the gay men's health crisis, starring Bernadette Peters as Faye and Madeline Kahn as Cora. Apparently, like that to me sounds like a bitching cast, but yeah. apparently they were really miscast. Oh, okay. Um, so then in 2003, there was a London production at the Bridewell Theatre and an LA production. Um, the one I would have just killed to see is a 2005 Illinois stage concert starring, wait for it, Audrey McDonald as Faye, Michael Cerveris as Dr. Hapgood and Patty Lapone as Cora. Oh, yes. Yeah. Apparently that was just like a, a ball and combo. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so then in 2010 there was an Encores production starring Sutton Foster, Donna Murphy and Sweet Sweet Raul Esparza. Love it. Love it. Since then there's been a few small-scale productions but always very limited runs. Yeah. And you, they, it's usually as part of some sort of like forgotten musicals. Yeah. Neglected know, musicals, whatever. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Um. So, yeah, like it just hasn't really had a go and it's always since that original production been some sort of staged concert. Yes. like Because it's, it's like clearly the script is terrible. fucking bonkers. As yeah, that's you, right. Yeah. That's right. So it's never really done in, in a full. <laughs> anyway, I've got fun facts. Yes. This one you will appreciate because Barbara Streisand turned down the role of Faye to star in Funny Girl. Ah, she was offered the role. Interesting. Yes, and then she went off to do Funny Girl. I was just looking up because I was trying to sort of get in my mind where it is. So it's after Forum. Yes. So it's not his Broadway it's not debut. His first. No, no, no. No, but it is then like he does a string of kind of crap stuff. Right? Yeah. This is like this is that period before he hits. Um, like where Follies is the sort of the first next big one. That's right. right? But then there are a couple of just not good. And he does Evening Primrose in there. Yes, he does. Yeah. Well, Evening Primrose is sixty-one, I think, from memory. Oh, really? I think. Oh, okay. I could it be wrong. to be a bit later. Um, but, yeah, this is in a bad period for him. He does Do I Hear a Waltz in there. Yeah. 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 I love that we're talking about Sondheim again. Of course. Does everyone out there love it? Yes, you they should. should. Um, okay, so another fun fact. According to Angela Lansbury, the rehearsal period was incredibly dramatic and just full of trauma for her. Um, apparently Arthur Lawrence was quite tough to work with. We talked yep. about this before. Sondheim attributes a lot of the failure of the show on Lawrence writing and directing the show. Like, Kind of sounds like it, doesn't it? Well, yeah, and everyone just agrees that that was a huge mistake and he just should have rewritten stuff and, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Also there's a story that the – I can't remember what his name is, but it's either the MD or the, or the orchestrator would, like, grab singers by the throat. Oh, my God. As they were singing. 
And so Angela Lansbury says she didn't sing for a whole year afterwards. <gasps> and if you listen to the cast recording, you actually can't believe it's Angela Lansbury because she's accessing parts of her voice that sound dangerous. Ooh. And, like, it, it sounds good in a cast recording, but it cannot have been sustainable. Right. Like, it was really full on. Lucky it was only nine performances, eh? Yeah. Um, so some other fun facts. The show was backed by 115 private backers to the tune of $350,000. Richard Rogers and Sondheim's father put money in. Yeah. Um, Sondheim says it took him 33 backers auditions to raise the money, which was wow. a longer run than the show. Yeah, that is, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, apparently he did those auditions himself. Like, well, there's some, there's like <clears throat> tapes of him doing a lot of backers auditions back yeah. in the day. Yeah, well, that's, he just yeah. said that was his, that was his, geek yeah um so the very famous and truly excellent song there won't be trumpets oh yes that's right yeah was cut from the original broadway production wow it's still on the cast recording though and it's in the current license like when you license it from mti okay it's there um because they say that it was cut because the character of Faye has this big monologue beforehand that basically covered everything that was in the song um so I think this is a bad decision to cut that song because it's an excellent song. Although yeah. apparently the monologue got more applause than the song. I haven't read it, but some fans say that it's Lauren's best work. Right, the monologue. Yeah, that that wow. monologue is just really excellent. So I can't imagine it being better than There Won't Be Trumpets, but I haven't read it, so Yeah, what I was going to say, if you didn't teach solely boys, it could have been a good like HSC one That's to look up. Right. Yeah. And yet here we are. Yeah. Um, so sometimes doesn't think this show works because it is pretentious and it talks down to the audience. And it's it's an interesting take, particularly I think the ending of Act One, so where like where the um where the cast are in the audience and they're told that they're mad. Yeah. Apparently that just didn't land. Like right. audiences did not like that. Which is fair, I think. Yeah. And I just love that Sondheim thinks something is pretentious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it must be pretty flippin' pretentious. Exactly. Um, another fun fact is that the show is generally believed to be cursed. Ooh. So during tryouts in Philadelphia, a dancer fell into the pit and gave a string player a fatal concussion. Oh, my God. Yeah, so that dancer, I actually haven't written his name down, but he was in West Side Story. He played, oh, God. It's one of the, like, one of the main jets. Action. No, it's <laughs> how's the action on your mother's mattress? <laughs> Maybe it is action. I don't know. <laughs> well, anyway, so how awful would that be if you were yeah. like, I killed someone with my dancing? I, yeah. Um, so also in just before tryouts, a cast member died of a heart attack, like oh. a major cast member. God. Sometimes says too that he thought during those rehearsals that Angela Lansbury was not very good. And mm. then when that cast member died, and the new replacement came in. She was just awesome, and he said it was really interesting to realize that actually that guy who was like a like oh. a like a, a stalwart on Broadway. Right. Gosh, I, I feel bad. I don't have his name. Apparently, he was the reason why she right. was Right, interesting. Good. Yeah. So then she just sort of blossomed without this dude who died. Yeah. This show had she casualties. Would been, she would have been what, like in her twenties. I think well, she'd already had or kids. Maybe I know 30s. that. I think yeah. So what? Six? Because I think 90, she is like ninety something now, right? Ninety five. I think. Yeah, now. and it's like yeah. sixty years ago, basically. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so um, I mean, she'd obviously done stuff on the West End. This is her Broadway debut. Yeah, she possibly already done Gypsy at that stage, right? Oh, I don't know. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. Well, I suppose because mm. isn't Gypsy the very no? Gypsy's not golden age, is it? Yes, it is. It's the, yeah. Mm. Anyway. Anyway, you have to look it up. So some gateways. Look, there are some mad bangers in this show. Yeah. My picks are start with There Won't Be Trumpets. 
It's just a great song. In fact, if you're a mezzo and you can really belt, this is a really good audition song. This yep. is famously Sutton Foster's audition song like oh. from when she was younger. She actually said that the first time she ever auditioned for Sondheim, she sang this and she totally bombed. Ooh. Ooh. She sang this for the um, the 90th birthday that was streamed oh, okay, last yeah. year. Yeah, it's beautiful. So next up, I think you need to listen to the title song, Anyone Can Whistle. It's yeah. very beautiful. I bang on about it all the time. It's just really pretty. Um, then finish up with um, with So Little To Be Sure Of. Oh, yeah, I know that one too actually. Yeah, it's a beautiful love duet. Yeah. It's stunning. Oh, I think Everybody Says Don't is from this as well. Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. like, really good songs. Yeah, wow. Really great. And it, if you look at the cast recording, um, there's not many, like, it's not a heap of songs. So you can get yes. through it and they're all great. Okay. Um, is there, there are, pretty much just the original Broadway Yeah, so there's cast. the original and then the London with Bernadette Peters. Oh, um, yeah. There's that recording. So that's the kind of you, mm, what am I saying? No, not the London, the... um. Like Why did they concert. do that? Yeah, it's a concert. Like I think Encores it's like 19. No, unfortunately the Encores one isn't there because that would be really That would be good. awesome, yeah. Um, yeah, it's the 1995 Carnegie Hall. I keep thinking that's in London, but it's no, New York. Yeah, yeah okay, that's yeah. right. So the 1995 New York with Bernadette Peters is also on Spotify and that's it. Okay. Unfortunately, they didn't record the Encores production. You can they see, well, they don't they normally. Don't. You can see lots of like clips from it and it looks amazing. Like Sutton Foster as Faye is a really good choice and Rala Sparza obviously is just amazing. Also Donna Murphy has the right energy for Cora. Yeah. Because she's got to be like quite a villain. So Cora's a bit older than Yeah, Faye. so yeah. thinking about like Angela Lansbury always looked old. So even yes. though she was probably in her 30s at the time, she looked like a 45-year-old. Whereas year now old. probably it would be someone in their 40s, right? Yeah, yeah. so now you've got like your Patty Pones playing it, yeah. your Donna Murphy, yeah. like that sort of. So it's like character actress ingenue. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and Faye is generally like the she's almost like the Sarah Brown yeah. sort of type, like um, a soprano. Yeah, but sort of. Yeah, I suppose. Like mm. I think a lot of people have said they wanted Laura Benanti for that encore's right over Sutton Foster. I think Sutton Foster was a good choice. Sutton Foster's but... an interesting one where like I've seen a lot of hate about the fact that she's. Um, uh, well, I forget the character's name in The Music Man, but the, the, oh, yeah. the lead female in The Music is, Man yeah. um, because that is supposed to be a legit soprano and she's not and she's kind not, of thing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I hear that. But, but I, she does do those kind of older shows well, I think. I think so too. And, and yeah. particularly with this, I don't think like Laura Benanti could not sing There Won't Be Trumpets. Mm. Like you've got to be able to belt for that. It's so I don't bit know of why. Yeah. yeah, I don't know why. But I think she has more of a traditional music. Sutton Foster has yeah. a traditional sound that yeah. fits this. Yeah, interesting. But she's just not your typical Sondheim player. So no. that is surprising, I think. Um, yeah. I just want to end this discussion about this musical with a quote from Sondheim. He said, it is a show that is better on records than it is on stage because the issues it satirises are no longer relevant. Its primary subject was nonconformity. Four years later it was 1968 and everybody nonconformed and being a nonconformist was in its own way conformity. And, yeah. Yeah, I like that. There's um, That's Anyone Can Whistle. Please don't discount it because it's bonkers. Just listen to the cast recording and those really good songs. Yeah. Also, in the original Broadway cast, right, I think it's the first song which is called something like My Town or whatever, Cora sings it. Angela Lansbury sounds incredible. Yeah, right. Yes. It's like really pushing her. Oh, like, it's pushing yeah. her. Yeah. And she definitely like could not have sustained that. But obviously for that short run, she, yeah, could, she, she was made all it work. Right. Yeah. Mm. yeah, interesting. Yeah, so that's awesome. Anyone Can Whistle. 
Well, this is our 1964 week. So random. Which uh, Josephine and I didn't realise until we were both researching our shows this week. And, in fact, I still didn't realise it because obviously Anyone Can Whistle wasn't a popular show. <laughs> and so it's not like, you know, even when I looked up the Tonys, I hadn't noticed that it had been no, nominated well, I don't for think that, that, one that one Tony. <laughs> um, but this week I'm doing Funny Girl, which is from the Love same it. Broadway season as Anyone Can Whistle. <laughs> and um, Josephine has previously done... She Loves Me, which is also from this season. Yeah, so what else is... And then I was saying, so um, I will talk about it a bit, but it's also the same season as Hello, Dolly. Yeah, nice. Yeah, okay. which we haven't done, but we will. We will for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, so this is just one of those, Funny Girls, one of those classic shows that I've always thought I should know more than I do kind of I'm thing. exactly the same. Yeah, and I really didn't know much about it until I saw the West End revival several years ago when I was living in the UK. And I wouldn't say I immediately, like, fell for it then, mm. but... Ever since it's been growing on me kind of thing. You know, like I've listened to it more. I've since seen uh, one of those concerts where um, they done with the, they did with the symphony where there's lots of different women play Fanny Bryce, yeah. um, which I thought was fabulous, and um, and I watched the film specifically for the podcast this last weekend, which I had never seen because as we've you discussed don't watch movie many times on the podcast, I just didn't grow up watching movie musicals really. Like yeah. I'd seen the really famous ones, and that's about it. When I say the really famous ones, like the family the friendly, of Oz. yeah, the Wizard yeah. of Oz, Sound of Music, all of those, Charlie, but Charlie but not. Factory like these kind of like movie musicals, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's just funny. It's one of those ones. But, yeah, like the more I've listened to it, the more I've watched it. It really is an incredible score, I yeah. have to say. And it's probably one of the greatest roles w- written for women in the musical theatre 100%. Canon. Like it really, really is. And that and that's become well, just more and anyway, more obvious to me. It. Yeah, more and more obvious. It. Like it's, yeah. So yeah. anyway, so funny girl. So book by Isabel Lennart. Music by Julie Stein and lyrics by Bob Merrill. So we discussed Julie Stein, obviously, in the Gypsy episode. And these are definitely his two most famous shows, Gypsy and Funny Girl, and most enduring. Uh, But he did also write the music for Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, Subways Are For Sleeping, and Bells Are Ringing, which are all kind of known in their own right. But, like, Funny Girl – I mean, Funny Girl and Gypsy, I think, again, two of the greatest scores, like, I have to say. Like, he is very good. Um. Isabel Lennart was mostly a screenwriter mm. and um, and I'll talk about it a bit, but like actually wrote, she wrote a screenplay which the musical is based, like they decided to turn into the musical. Oh, cool. Did they ever use that screenplay or did they use it for well, the film? Well, she did the adaptation of oh, the right, film, cool. so I don't know if it's the same, but yeah. certainly she did. And, um, yeah, and she was also nominated for an Oscar for the film Love Me or Leave Me, which I haven't heard of. Oh, but yeah, that's a Doris Day film. Is it? Okay, yeah. so she was nominated for an Oscar for that film yeah. as well. So she mostly worked on films. That was like Jimmy Cagney and Doris oh, wow. Day. Okay, Unlike Again. you, I have seen all of them, Excellent. all of these films. Uh, and Bob Merrill worked on several shows, including writing music and lyrics for Carnival and Sugar, which mm. are both sort of – Older shows, but they, they're they still somewhat enduring. Yeah. Um, he also wrote many popular standalone songs, just like Julie Stein did. Yeah. Um, All those in, trunk songs. Yeah, and... so including How Much Is That Doggy in the Window. Oh, wow. And um, Mumbo Italiano. They're both obviously popular, you know, pop yes. songs from that period. Um, so the story. So the show is based on the real-life Broadway and vaudeville star Fanny Bryce and her husband, Nick Arnstein. So I guess I I knew that it was based on a real person, but it never quite occurred to me, like, 
that it was based on a real person, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like that it is a true story, yeah. right? I mean, they've obviously like fictionalized bits, but it is a true story. Nick Arnstein was a real guy. Fanny Bryce was a real woman. Um, and in the show, I have to say, like going from the most complicated plot of Anyone Can Whistle <laughs> to really like a very simple plot when yes, it comes it to is. Funny Girl. I mean, we follow Fanny's start in vaudeville to her becoming a big star at the Ziegfeld Follies and basically meeting Nick Arnstein and marrying him. He eventually gets mixed up in an embezzling deal, like with the, you know, in some crime and goes to prison. Fanny waits for him to get out. But then once he gets out, basically they end up deciding to separate. And that is kind of the entire show. Yeah. It's a lot of like her doing her acts at the Follies, stuff like that. Yeah. And then like their kind of relationship issues. And that really is all that happens. There's yeah. not really a lot of action in the, in the show. Still works, but. There isn't a lot. Like, there's not really a lot there's of... There's no fake miracles. There's no fake miracles, I'm sorry to say. But, like, all the ensemble stuff is kind of, like, only if they're, like, part of the follies and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, there's not, like, an ensemble ensemble, is there, Not really. really. Like, yeah. there's, like, the women that are, like, so they go back to her mum's place in, yeah. like, Brooklyn a lot and, like, so there's, like, the women her mum are friends with and they have yeah. they have a song. And... It's really just, a, like, a window into her life. Though. Exactly. That's all it is, right? Exactly. Yeah. So a bit of history. So the production, the musical was spearheaded by the producer Ray Stark, who was actually the real Fanny Bryce's son-in-law. That's sort of why he That's cool. Yeah, came up with it. So he had first commissioned a biography uh, about her, which he was really unhappy with, and he and he never allowed it to be released. Like it got written, he didn't allow it to be released. So instead he he got people to write like a screenplay based on that. Um and it was when they were in talks with Mary Martin to be in the film, like, of the screenplay, that she actually was like, I think this would make a good stage musical. Yeah. Um, and they began talks with um, Julie Stein and Sondheim at that stage. Well, because they'd just done Gypsy, right? Yeah, to yeah. write the score. Um, and Sondheim actually said, I don't want to do the life of Fanny Bryce with um, Mary Martin. She's not Jewish. You need someone ethnic for the part. Yeah. And it's not actually clear to me when he became unattached to the to the project but he was right Hmm. um and also he was busy with anyone can whistle well it's true and mary martin also just moved on eventually kind of thing like she became unattached um and for a long time it looked like Anne bancroft would play fanny oh wow um but she didn't like the songs and said no they wrote a bunch of songs i i think that was part of it like they sort of but they wrote the songs for her voice and then she said no so so barbara streisand at this stage of course the show is really the thing that makes Barbara Streisand a star, right? So at this stage, she was essentially a nightclub star in New York City and she had grabbed a lot of attention in her Broadway debut, the show I Can Get It For You Wholesale. Um, And Julie Stein had seen her in that and thought she'd be perfect. And then basically, yeah, everyone, she auditioned, they brought her in and everyone loved her, right? So she's only, and by the way, she's only 21 when it opens on Broadway. Like ridiculous. It's like Julie Andrews' Broadway debut. Like what the hell? Ridiculous. So young. So young. So the Broadway production opened on March 26, 1964 at the Winter Garden Theatre, subsequently transferring to the Majestic. It must have been after anyone can whistle that it transferred to the Majestic. Yeah, ouch. Um, And the Broadway Theatre, where it closed on July 1st, 1967, to complete its total run of 1,348 performances. Oh, so it did a few more than anyone (laughs) can whistle? Just a few more. And obviously, like, pretty massive for the time. Right? It was nominated for eight Tony Awards at the 1964 Awards. Nice. But one none, same <gasps> as Anyone Can Whistle. I know. Isn't that insane, when I, though? When I was researching Anyone Can Whistle, I was like, well, hopefully Funny Girl swept it. And then I remember that She Loves Me did pretty well. Well, but, but it, was not, Hall- it was Hello Dolly. That's right, it was Hello Dolly that yeah, swept it. Yeah, so 
I hadn't realised it hadn't won any Tonys. That's kind of insane when you think about it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, so that year for Best Musical it was up against She Loves Me, High Spirits was the other show that High year. High Spirits. Yeah, and Hello, Dolly, which won Best Musical. In fact, Hello, Dolly pretty much swept the awards, yeah. um, including Carol Channing beating out Barbara as Best Actress, yeah. which obviously would have been a tight race, right? Definitely, yeah. So Streisand reprised her role. Because two, sorry to interrupt, yeah. but those two characters, like, Yes, That right? is a big year for women. Like, again, two of the best written characters for, for, for women, women in on, the musical theatre. Right. Like, and imagine if you'd had, like... What? It's a few years, like, maybe, what, like, Gypsy. five years after Gypsy? Yeah. So like, imagine if you'd had, like, Gypsy, this, Mame, in, and insane. Hello Dolly in the same... Yeah, wow. Insane. Yeah, they're all there. Yeah. Jeez, we haven't got we haven't got many other things recently. No, to, since, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, to hold up to this standard. So mm. Streisand reprised her role in the West End production at the Prince of Wales Theatre, which opened on 13th of April 1966 and ran for only 14 weeks. That was because it was actually selling quite well, but Barbara was pregnant with her first oh, child. Right, yeah. And so they made the decision to close once she left. It was just really clear that it wasn't going to sell. Without her. Without her. So yep. they just went, nah, we'll just do the 14 weeks. Love it. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? <laughs> uh, the film was released in 1968. And it was nominated for eight Oscars. And it she won, won, didn't she? She won one for Best Actress, yeah. yeah, Barbara Streisand. It was also the highest grossing movie of 1968, wow. which is quite incredible, really. That's great. But that was when movie musicals were just, like, killing it. It's true. You know? It's true, yeah. Um, on September 23rd, 2002, a concert version um, for the Actors Fund, Benefit oh. of the Actors Fund, was staged in New York City. This is one I love. Yeah. Now, listen to this. Yeah. Performers sharing the role of Fanny Bryce included. Carolee Carmelo, Kristen Chenoweth, Sutton Foster, Anna Gasteyer, Whoopi Goldberg, Jane Krakowski, Judy Kuhn, Julia Murney, Lashans, Ricky Lake, Andrew Martin, Idina Menzel, B.B. Newworth, Lilius White, and then Peter Gallagher played Nikki, Nate played Nikki Arnstein for all of yeah. them. Can I just say that Lilius White singing Don't Rain On yes. My Parade is life. Life. It is. Incredible. I cannot even. I think that lots of clips of this are on YouTube. So, like, I really yeah, highly encourage, yeah. like, everyone to look it up because it really is. Seth Rodetsky used to put these on, right? Yeah. There's a hair one. There's a few others. I'm sh- um, there's more that I'm thinking of. But yeah. there were some really famous Actors Fund yes. um, concerts they did and they're just so incredible. Good. It's such a great concept. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. They'd just be, like, one night only, all these incredible performers. Yeah. Um, and that's the one where uh, Julia Murney wasn't really known. Yeah, I'm hey. going to talk about In fact, I'm going to link to that video a bit later on. Because she did People? She does yeah. People. And she was, like, very unknown at the time. Yeah. yeah and it's amazing. Yeah. Um, so a new London production opened at the Menier Chocolate Factory on November 20th, 2015 uh, for a limited run to March 5th, 2016. Uh, and that made it the f- show's first full-scale revival ever. So that's the one you saw? Yeah, so that then tranced the entire run at the Menier sold out within a day. Oh god! Uh, which was it, it was the Menier's fastest selling show in their it history. Took so long to have a revival. I like. know. So following this, the show transferred to London Savoy Theatre uh, and ran from April 9th, two thousand sixteen, to October eighth, two thousand sixteen. So that's when I saw it at yeah, the Savoy. Nice. So, but again, that's not as long as I thought. If that makes mm. sense, like that's only like six months. Yeah. And, yeah, like, that's not that long. No, it's you not. Know? Yeah. I, I kind of remembered that being, like, a big smash. But, yeah, uh, yeah so it's Maybe it was. Like, it doesn't mean that it wasn't hanging. No, true, just that it true. closed, yeah. Um, in 2018, a concert production was done at the Sydney Opera House, which is the one that I saw, uh, with the role of Fanny being played by a different woman essentially for each new song. So this is really the fact that we're an Australian podcast. I'm going to list off these 
people for everyone. So the role of Fanny Bryce on stage was shared by Michaela Bannis, Natalie Bassingthwaite, Casey Donovan, Virginia Gay, Verity Hunt Ballard, Demi Im, Maggie McKenna, Zara Newman, Caroline O'Connor, Queenie Vanderzan, and Megan Washington. Yeah, nice. So it was a really great concert. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. And a really kind of like like a, a big mix of ages yeah, and like experience yeah. and yeah. And even like singing style. Exactly. And, yeah, yeah. Exactly. To go from like Caroline O'Connor to Megan Washington. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that was really cool. <laughs> Um, Caroline Connor has also played the role twice for the production company in Melbourne. So she first did it in 1999 and then again in 2016. Great. So she would have been 56 the second time around. But she she doesn't, she's sort of ageless. She really is. And they're actually, I have to say, like, there doesn't really seem to be a set age for the women who play Fanny, if that makes sense. So, like, Barbara was only 21 when she first did it on Broadway, but, and yet, like, it also kind of makes sense. I don't know, for some reason it just feels a bit like. Yeah. Yeah, I don't but know. She, the, she obviously has to feel young at the beginning. It's because of the nature of the character. Is because she is all about like her comedy, and she's about like yeah, she's not supposed to be particularly good looking. She and gives all no sorts fucks. Of, yeah, and she's just such a badass, and yeah. it doesn't matter. It's just really, it's just a really interesting one because yeah, there just seems to be such a range of ages that have played her. Yeah. Um. So some facts. So. Originally, Jerome Robbins was going to direct the musical but mm. left after artistic differences, as always. <laughs> uh, he was replaced by Bob Fosse, yeah. who left about a month in. Um, and then Garson Kanan came on board and brought the show through to its out-of-town tryout where he ended up leaving. Um, and Jerome Robbins was brought back on board, although Garson Kanan is still listed, like, as the official director. Wow. Um, but Jerry Robbins is only, I think it's something like production supervisor is his title. But he basically, like, because I think the co- they got rid of the director and maybe the choreographer as well wow. at that stage yeah. out of town. And Jerome Robbins comes back in and kind of brings it to Broadway Jeez. sort of thing. I know, it's crazy. Um, I do remember there being like a quote because I think the director wanted to cut people mm. and Barbara was like, no, like, and because he didn't feel like it was necessary for yeah. the story, but she's like, yeah, but like, you can't just you can't cut this people. incredible song. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, yeah. And um, uh, she was like, get Jerome Robbins back. <laughs> it's funny. Um, God, imagine if that song was cut. Ugh. Right? Anyway. I know. So the movie, of course, starred Barbara Streisand reprising her Broadway role and Omar, Omar Sharif, Sharif as yeah. Nikki Arnstein. Um, it was Barbara's feature film debut and she had very strong feelings about how she would be shot and lit. Mm. And when the director of the film was asked whether Barbara was hard to work with, he famously quipped, no, not too hard, considering it was the first movie she ever directed. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just such a good line. That's awesome. Um, so William Wyler was the name of the director and when Streisand heard that he was attached and he just, he just directed Ben-Hur, right? Right. She said, chariots, how is he with people like women? Is he any good with actresses? (laughs) (laughs) But of course he'd also done like Roman Holiday and like, yeah, he's like a very established director. So anyway, uh, it's quite funny, but yeah, it was a, it was, um, it's a great film. I have to say, like, it's very of its time, but I real I'm really glad I watched it. Yeah. Um, and just to see her performance, I think immortalized on screen was yeah. really special. Yeah. And Omar Sharif's really great in it as well. I had such a crush on Omar Sharif when I was a kid. And they had a an affair. Um, Did they? Yeah, while they were shooting the film and apparently the director used that a lot like in, in yeah. how they did things. And I'll she bet. was married to Elliot Gould at the time. I think it like caused the end of that marriage. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's Jeez. like so again, she's only like 
I think like 24 or 25 when they're shooting the film. Like she's still really young. And it was a big scandal as well because, of course, he's Egyptian, Omar Sharif. Yeah. And and there was like the eight-day war or whatever was was going on at the time and like they wanted to revoke his citizenship um, because she's Jewish and, yeah, yeah, there was all this like political stuff going on with it Mm. as well. So because the the poster had them kissing on it. Yeah, Yeah. I remember. So – there is a sequel written to the film, which which was called Funny, Funny Lady. Lady yeah. um, considering how poorly most musical sequels do, it actually did pretty well. Like it was nominated for five Academy Awards. It's like you don't appreciate High School Musical 2 at all. <laughs> or uh, Grease 2. <laughs> I do appreciate Grease 2. Yeah, well. It's a great film. It's better than Grease 1. Um, but interesting, like I didn't really quite realise this, but most of the songs were written by Candor and Ebb for Funny Lady. Yes. And there's actually a few songs in it that are also in And the World Goes Round. Yes. Um, and I never realised, like I know those songs because I've done And the World Goes Round and I didn't know that's what they were from. Yeah, yeah. But How Lucky Can You Get is in it and that's a great song. It's a great song. Yeah. I think most of Funny Lady songs are really good. Yeah, fact, I just apparently it's not a great film though. No, no, but I think they Kendra and Ebb did a really good job of like at least matching the energy of Julie Stein. Yeah, so I think it's like it's like say three quarters their songs and then a, a few other like trunk songs are yeah. kind of in there as well. Yeah. Um. So on Broadway, Nick Arnstein was played by Sidney Chaplin, the son of Charlie Chaplin. Oh, yeah, which is nice. Um, so the musical definitely took some liberties with the events of Fanny Bryce's life. No, that's weird. <laughs> yeah. So they make no mention of Fanny Bryce's first husband and um, like, cause she was actually married a few times and like she was married before she was married to Nick Arnstein. Um, but they sort of make it like he was her only love kind of thing. Um, and they also suggest that Nick Arnstein turned to crime because his pride would not allow him to live off Fanny uh, and that he was wanted by the police for selling phony bonds. Jeez. In reality, however, he sponged off her even before their marriage. Wasn't he just like a professional gambler? Yeah, correct. Yeah. Um, and he was eventually named as a member of a gang that stole $5 million worth of Wall Street securities. Oh, and instead of turning himself in like he does in the film, he went into hiding. Um, so and when he finally guy. surrendered, he didn't plead guilty like he does in the film but he fought the charges like which she had to pay for like wow she paid for all of his court case and stuff so yeah they make him out to be a bit more of a sympathetic character in the in the musical than he was in real life yeah. basically yeah. yeah sounds like he was just kind of a crook right <laughs> so one of the wonderful things about the show especially considering the time period it's from is how fanny is so sure of her talents and so confident and unapologetically herself mm. um but then, like, the flip side of that, of course, is that she's obsessed with following around her husband and being married and he's threatened by her earning more money than him and, like, feeling emasculated by their relationship. So it's this real kind of mixture of both, like, a really strong female character but also just, like, the patriarchy at work. Yeah. Like, it's like a really – Like inter- she reverts in a relationship to yeah. this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and, like yeah. – But, yeah, so it's sort of – and, again, it's probably what makes it one of the great characters in a lot of ways. Yeah, well, because, she's real. Like- yeah, but also, like, you get to do, like, proper comedy chops. Yes. And, and, yeah, like you say, so the character – the idea is the character is, like, you know, not conventionally attractive, well, yeah. right? And they sing about that in the in the show. And but yeah, she's a comedian and she gets to be funny and she gets to she knows she's talented yeah. and she's just very confident. Yeah, it's it's a great character. It really is. Yeah. It really is. But yes, as I say, she then like kind of has all this I'm just gonna quit show business so I can just be a wife and a mother. Yeah, man. Uh and then, you know, yeah, it's sort of a it's an interesting one. But, yes, it's it's a great kind of – I actually think in some ways nowadays it's it's more interesting because you get to play that 
the dichotomy of that mm. sort of thing. So yeah, I do like that. Yeah, I don't like. I don't begrudge them. I mean, that's not clearly what the real Fanny Bryce did, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so it's also really quite amazing, as we sort of said before, that the West End revival in 2016 was the first ever fully staged revival since the original. But I guess it's a bit like, say, The Sound of Music, where the original production and star are just so iconic and the film that they don't really feel like they can be replicated, mm. I guess. Um, also, like, The Sound of Music is pretty boring on stage yeah true true but like this show is definitely due overdue for a broadway revival yeah, i would wow. say you know and it's just interesting that I've, i i agree with you that like barbara streisand is so enduring that it's interesting that in the subsequent sort of concerts they've had to have multiple women mm. play that role like there hasn't been sort of one they could commit to it's also i have to say like a massive scene it's for a that huge person role. like it's like it's a you just have to have like lungs of steel yeah, to play that yeah, part. Yeah, it's a big set. Like she just has such a specific voice yes. that, and it, it's it would just be really so hard perfect to, for her voice. Yeah. Um, I also should mention that in the film, <clears throat> so the musical is basically all original songs, right? Um, but in the film, they added back in like some of the songs that. Um, Fanny Bryce herself was known for. So I guess the most popular example of that is My Man, which mm. is in the film but not in the stage show, yeah. which is a great song. It's a great song. And, like, Barbara sings the shit out of it in the film. Um, but, yeah, they kind of wanted to make it a bit more like – and they did a couple of the numbers that she'd done in the Follies, like songs that she'd made popular kind yeah, of thing right. at the time. And the other thing I should note about the film is that it's supposed to be set, like, I think like in, like, the First World War – but it looks like it's in the 50s. It, it, well, or 60s. Like yeah. it's like her makeup and her hair and yeah, even some yeah. of the outfits. I'm just like, when is this again? Yeah. Like, but it's definitely like, yeah, pre-war. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, it's like 1908 or 19, yeah, yeah something like that. Anyway, it's quite <laughs> funny. Looking at it now, I'm like, wait, when, when are you setting this? Yeah, like, yeah. It's quite funny anyway. Mm. So the um, cast recordings that are available on Spotify that I'll link to are the original Broadway cast. So... Barbara when she's 21 sounds amazing. The film soundtrack, a few years later, but you get a couple of different extra songs. Mm. Uh, one of the songs that isn't in the film but is in the musical is Cornet Man, which is a great song, which isn't one of my gateways, but it's a great fucking song. Oh, yeah, that is a good song. And she sings the shit out of it, yeah. What uh, doesn't she sing the shit out of? It's true. Look, you're right, but she particularly sings the shit out of Cornet <laughs> Man. And then the London Revival cast recording, which was um, Sheridan Smith, yeah. who was the original Elle Woods on Broadway, and, like, she's done quite a few yeah. shows. Um, she plays Fanny in, nice. that, in that production. Uh, so some gateway songs. So I'm going to go with, like, I have to say this is pretty boring. They're all just, like, three Fanny songs, but they are, they're so good. That they're the, they're amazing songs. They are quintessential to this show. So first off, obviously, "Don't Rain on My Parade." Yes, a cl- like one of the best songs ever written for the musical theater. Yes, people, again, like I the don't massive. Like song. You don't like this song, do no. you? No, um, I do. I like a massive ballad. Yeah. Um, uh, she again is incredible doing it, and then the last one is "I'm the Greatest Star," which is yeah, the kind of the big character number that she does at the beginning. You know, yeah. which is like oh, kind of the "I Want" song, yeah, uh, in a lot of ways. And as um as Josephine mentioned before, I'm going to link to Julia Murney doing people at the Actors Fun concert of Funny Girl. So she was essentially an unknown at this person, like this time. you know, yeah. um, yeah, <laughs> this time, <laughs> um, uh, she was. 
like she'd never been on Broadway for a long time. She was known as like the, the famous Broadway actress that had never been on Broadway. She says that about herself because mm. Wicked, I think was her Broadway debut when yeah. she played Elphaba, like a, Ooh, a, a, like a bit into the run. Cause um, the wild party was off Broadway. Correct. Hey? Yeah. 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 And so, um, yeah. And so like, they literally gave her, like, one of the biggest songs in the show. Yeah, but she's so good. And so you literally hear, like, watch the clip, you hear them announce that it's, you know, her going to be doing People and there's kind of this really weak applause because it's like that's such a popular song and no who one knows this? who she is. And then, like, as the show, as the song goes on, the audience just, like, fully comes around to her. She sings the fucking shit out of it. And then at the end they're like, yeah, love her. We right? love you, yeah. yeah. And it is, it's really great. I mean, the, the video quality is not great cause it's from 2002, but it's the same with the Lily. I mean, obviously everyone loved Lilius white, but like she gets a standing ovation. And, yes. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And she does. She's like so good doing that song. She is. So yeah. So funny girl, like it's again, it's, it, it is one of those ones where I was like, Oh, this is a good show to do, but I think it would be a, a hard one to do for like amateur theater. Well, it's very just that person's exactly. It's yeah. such a star vehicle show. It is, yeah. Because there's like, not really much ensemble. Yeah, like even Nick doesn't really sing very much. No, you know. So, yeah, that's right. It's should we really do just it about and her. I play Fanny Bryce. I think we should. <laughs> <laughs> you had me at. It's only about her. It's only about her. <laughs> it's a star vehicle. Uh. Oh, oh. Josephine, you're up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I hope everyone enjoyed our 1964 show. I actually love that that was a complete accident. Complete accident. Yeah. We had no idea. And um, both just wonderfully attended famous shows. Exactly. Definitely everyone knows ever- anyone can whistle. <laughs> what did Andrew call it earlier Anything can whistle. Anything can whistle. <laughs> as Andrew was setting up our sound, he referred to it as anything can whistle. Yeah. And I was like, well, that's um, that's that. Yeah. You're that's how wrong. famous it is. You're not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how I managed to do another Sondheim show on this podcast. I love it. Mm. Any excuse. Any excuse. Um, tune in next week for a mixtape. Yeah. And follow us on Instagram. And can I can I tell them what we're doing for the next full yes, episode? Yes, let's do it. Guys, we're doing cats. Because it's our 50, 40th. 50th. 50th. Is it our 50th? It's the 50th main Far episode. Out. 50th episode, so we're covering the same show. So we thought we had to do cats because neither of us would ever choose it otherwise. So but it's big. Here we go. Cats. We ready. I have to Are watch the film. Are you blind when you're born? <laughs> anyway, I, I love the only one I want to sing is Jellicle Cats. That's right. And Josephine's going to watch the film. Jellicles. Oh. And Shane. I'm going to make Shane do it. Okay. I probably so, won't rewatch it. You shouldn't. I you know, know when that I saw shouldn't. it at the movies, there was a blackout in the. Do you remember this? <laughs> yes, I remember. There was a blackout in the shopping center. That's and right. so we only saw the first six minutes or something. Yeah. And then we had to go back the next day and watch it again. Yeah, fuck. It was pretty funny. Imagine having to go to the cinemas twice to see this. I know. Mm. Well, stay tuned for that. Indeed. Fun times. All right, we'll see everyone next week. All right, bye. Bye.